You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church and Pleasant Green Road. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Thank you, choir. Thanks, Wayne. What a message to, um, to talk about what Jesus did for us so that we could have real life. I mean, that's the question is, where does life come from? And how do we get it? How do we hold on to it? You know, I listen to, listen to the choir and just the, the flood of emotions that comes with understanding that Jesus not only came, but he gave his life for us so that we could have life. And everything that has, would have separated us from God has been taken away so that we could have access to the Father through Jesus. Isn't that good? All right, now you guys got to get excited. It's, it's just one of those things that when, when, if I were to say, Jesus died for you, and because of that, you get to go to heaven, you get relationship with the Father, that ought to be exciting. All right, just checking. So, so this morning, what we're going to talk about is we're going to be in John 6, which uh, Pastor Mark last week during homecoming mentioned this passage. He mentioned it in the context of describing a disciple that was following Jesus and, and his journey through life and the things that took place in him, that all the things, his growing up, his, his rejecting um, instruction, his denial, and then his restoration at the end of his life. Now, Peter went through a lot of things. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to get to that spot where, um, where Peter is confronted, or actually the disciples are confronted, and because Peter is the guy that he is, he speaks up. And so we're going to, we're going to get to that in just a moment. You know, we... One of, one of the battles in Scripture when you start looking at the life of Jesus was always the question, is Jesus God? That was the question. Is he God? And if he is, why is he doing what he's doing? And if he's God, why did he end up where he ended up? And so everybody would question that and say, well, we don't understand how he could be God and and we don't understand how he can do all these things, and yet he doesn't seem to be building this earthly kingdom that we thought was coming. And so they were always questioning his authenticity. Is this really the Messiah? Well, I want to show you a couple things this morning. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 6, and just to, just to show how important we think authenticity is, I want to show you something. And we're not the, not the seat so much, although it's going to help. I stole the, I borrowed this. And I'm going to hold it because it's probably worth more than my house. So... This is a painting. It was actually in the foyer, and some of you would recognize it. And can you, can you guys see it okay over there? There, that's all you get. Okay, so this is, this is a painting. 
And, and we check the authenticity of it. We go, is it real? Because when I came, I didn't, I, you know, you, you kind of look around the church and you, you kind of figure some things out. And then you start talking about, well, what would it be if we did this? And, and, you know, I told you before that I've been in churches where there was this picture of Jesus and they didn't move it, maybe because they didn't want to get too close to Jesus, but they painted around it, you know, one of those kind of things. So well, anytime you move a painting or a picture in a church, you, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, how important is it? How important is it to a certain group of people? How important is it to the life of the church? What does it convey? And this is one of those pictures this is one of those, those paintings. Uh, this, is a, um, this is a Thomas Kincaid. You go, ooh, didn't know we had that. We can get rid of the dead at North, you know. I don't, probably not. But however, um, it's authentic. And the reason we know it's authentic is because there is a paper, piece of paper that says so on the back. It's got a piece of paper that says, I'm authentic. Maybe not in those words, but it's written, it's, it's very nicely done. It's um, a great font for authenticity purposes. And so we have this painting and we check the authenticity. We look at it and we get, this is really signed and sealed and has a stamp on it and all those kind of things. It says that what's on this side, on this back side, is really real and has worth. And we do that with a lot of things. We do that with, with paintings like this. We do, and I'm, I tell you what, just because, you know, because of what it is, and I still don't know who this relates to, I'm going to put it back over here. Because I'm mostly fearful that I'll trip on it and put my foot through it. You know, that's one of those kind of things. So, um, so we check the authenticity of things. And, and we want to see, is it certified? Is it real? Does it hold weight? And that's a question that they were asking about Jesus. And, and we would ask the same question. God, do you hold weight in my life? So we're asking about the, the worthiness or acceptance. The definition in Webster says that authentic, uh, to be authentic or to have authenticity, he says, conforming to an original so as to reproduce essential features, to be not false, fake, or imitation. And so one of the ways that we do that is we investigate. And so the disciples would do that. They spent time with Jesus, and the question was, are you real? And they got to spend time and hang out with him and find out whether he was putting on a show during the day and doing something completely different at night. And they would ask that question in their minds, is this really the Messiah? And we know that Peter has spoken up on occasion. And he said, yeah, we know you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus would answer back. He would say, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So we get statements like that. The question for us is, are we developing as authentic believers in Christ? Now that, that has to happen. Because if we, if we are not developing as, in, in the ways of being authentic in our Christian walk, then those that would kind of check behind the scenes of our life would go, 
I don't think they're real, and therefore, I'm not going to even give any credence or any weight to them saying they belong to Christ. You see, it affects our witness. When our witness is not authentic, when the back of our, our portrait is checked out and it's not real, then, then people will just say, well, that's not fake. And they don't, give it, they don't give it the weight that it's due. See, they'll just take it and they'll pull it down off the wall, kind of like I did the portrait this morning. They'll take it and they'll say, well, that, that portrait I can put in a yard sale. It's not worth anything. Because, see, when I asked about that portrait when I, over the last several months, because I had some questions about it, and I said, tell me about that. And they said, it's authentic. I said, well, then we ought not put it in the missions yard sale, right? Now, those of you that work in the missions area are going, we'll market authentic, and, and we'll be funding missions for a long time. But it was one of those things we had to, dis- I had to discover it. I had to figure it out. And, and really, until this morning, I didn't know this, there was a certificate. I just took somebody else's word for it and check it out. But there's people that check you out. There's people that check me out. And they want to know if we're real, if we're authentic. And they want to test it. And so are you developing as a believer in Christ? The context for our story this morning in John 6 is Jesus had fed 5,000 plus. He'd taken a very small amount of food and it had gotten distributed. There was stuff left over. And when the, the day was said and done, the, um, the disciples got in a boat. Now, they, they took off. They said, I don't know where Jesus is, but he told us to go, so we're going. So they got in a boat and they went to the other side. And along the way, in the middle of the night, Jesus shows up on the water. And so he gets out there and he said, yeah, it's not a ghost. We accept that fact that you are not a ghost walking on that water. You are very real. And so they pulled Jesus in. And it was different than pulling somebody into a boat that's all wet. He was dry, except for the bottom of his feet, maybe. And so they pull him in the boat and they get to the other side of of the lake and they start talking about authenticity. See, Jesus flipped the question on them in this passage, and I want you to catch it, because Jesus will say, this is where real life is found, and I want to ask you a question. So instead of them asking Jesus, are you authentic, he turns it and says, how about you guys? Are you real? And so if you would, turn with me to John chapter 6, and we'll start reading it, verse 52. So would you stand as we read this together? John 6, 52, and we'll, we'll read for a little while. It says, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now there's a discussion taking place, and it'll kind of um, show up here as we go through it. He says, um, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. Now, on the surface, it sounds gross. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. It sounds very similar to what I grew up with in some of the concepts of the Lord's Supper. 
that this would literally become the body and the blood of Christ. And that's not what we would believe, just, just by, what, by the way. It's symbolic of the blood, the body and the blood of Christ, that which was broken and, and shed for us. It's symbolic to remind us of what took place on Calvary. So he says that, and then he says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. And he's referring to when the, the Israelites came out of Egypt, were hanging out in the wilderness, and God provided manna for them to eat. Different kind of bread. That was physical bread that they took in so that they wouldn't physically die at that point, but they still died. And so Jesus goes on. He said, these things, and, or uh, John writes, he says, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? So their question was, we hear what you're saying, and we're having a hard time with it. Now, could, was it the literal part of it that they had a hard time with? I think there's more to it. So we'll get into that in just a second. He said, therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? You have an issue with this. Is there a problem with what I've said? And what then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits, profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He said, So Jesus said to the twelve, so he's got this large crowd of disciples that are following him. He says all these things. He says, Does it cause you to stumble? Do you have issue with this? And then he goes in, and, and because of what he had said, a bunch of them just get up and walk out. And then Jesus turns to the 12, which are closest. They're, they're closer to him, have been with him for a little while longer. And so Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, just like Simon Peter would. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a confession. What a statement on the part of Peter to say, I don't know what to do, but we know this about you. That you are the Holy One of God. So let's talk about that for just a moment, but let's first pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the words that are in this passage. And although for the disciples that were present that day and for us, sometimes listening to what you call us to is more difficult than we really want to receive. 
And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would grow us and stretch us, that we would understand not just, not just who you are, but why our lives should be prioritized by who you are. And so, God, I pray that you'll help us this morning to see what we need to do as those that call ourselves believers, maybe for some in here that have never trusted you as Savior, what they would need to do to build or, or to gain that relationship that you offer. And so, Father, I pray that you'll work during this time, that at the end of it, that we will be in a place where we say, God, I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing to either start that relationship or follow you with all that I have for your glory. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, this, is a, um, this is an interesting passage to walk through because of some of the, the terminology that is in it. This whole eat flesh, drink blood thing, I mean, it's, a, it's one of those things you would say, well, we're getting, getting up on the Halloween season and all that kind of stuff. This, it's like, gross, man. I don't like it. But I really think Jesus had something else in mind when he said it. There was a, certainly a symbolic part to this because they weren't literally going to do that, were they? It all had to do with connecting with him. It all had to do with following him and committing to that. And so when we go through this, we're going we're gonna to find out a couple of things because I think the, the listeners to Jesus understood what he was saying. And the difficult part wasn't the physical part that he was expressing it as. The difficult part was he was calling them to follow. And he, just as he did with Peter and the other disciples that, that he saw, he called them to follow him with all that they were, to leave what was what had been their life, and to give that up and start pursuing him with all their might. I think that's what he was asking. I think he was saying that this is a really serious thing, that when you give your life to Christ, you're not just doing it so that you can kind of cruise through life and have this fire insurance at the end. It means that you're giving your life and your whole life is wrapped up in that. That becomes the priority. And everything else falls under that. Does that make sense? When we give our life to Christ, he ought to be first place. He ought to be the one in charge. And so what prevents somebody from following or recognizing the authority of Christ? We're going to list two of those this morning. And, and, and in order, and then we're going to Talk about what we need to do. Because we're talking about being authentic Christians. If we're going to be authentic followers of Jesus, there have to be some things that take place in our life. But as you see in this passage, there were some, when they heard the words, you've got to follow, essentially that's what Jesus is saying. If you really want me to be authentic in your life and you want to be an authentic follower, then you're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to give up old life and trade it in for new life of following me. So when Jesus says that, he understands it, and there are some that walk away. And the question is, why did they walk away? 
It was too hard for them. The saying was hard. I get it. Why did they walk away? I think there are essentially two reasons. The first one is deception. There's a hiddenness or a veil that comes over somebody's life that says, I understand what you're saying, but I'm going to turn away. And the reason they turn away is because they see something as better than what the offer was. They turn away because they're deceived in thinking, I can do this on my own. You know how it works? The serpent in Genesis 3 did what with Eve? Deceived her. The whole, the whole scenario was a deception. He says, if the, the serpent told Eve, said, what, what you're hearing from God, that's not really true. In fact, he doesn't want you to eat that because he didn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to have all that knowledge and all that, all that greatness. And so he deceives her into, into pursuing that. And along with Adam, it creates a big mess for us. Because it's, it's that original part that put us in a position where we cannot have access to the Father, a relationship with the Father, except through the Son. We inherited our sinful nature because of the deception of Satan. It didn't get us off the hook. It just means we have to understand that. So there's deception, and it can be, it can be imposed by Satan. That, that's one way. Look at, um, at first, or 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid... Lest as the ser serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So Paul writes that in this letter to the, to the Corinthian church and says, don't be like them. Don't be deceived. Don't let a veil come over you so that you don't understand what it means to follow Christ. And then John chapter 8, verse 44, says this, Jesus is talking, and he's talking, and he's doing this comparison about who's in charge and who you're following. And he says this, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Then this description Whoever, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What a telling statement about the authenticity of Satan. Because authenticity can be good or bad, but for Satan, it's bad. That's the real Satan, father of lies, deceiver, the one who, who seeks those whom he may devour. It's the one that is just opposite the good shepherd that offers life, an abundant life. So Satan is that deceiver, that one who comes and doesn't allow us to see the good that God is. Covers the truth. And he says, this is just as good. When we know the truth is that good is in God. God is the author of truth, 
And he gives good things because he cares for his kids. So Satan is a deceiver. And then there's the part of us that deceives ourselves. You know, we, we talk to ourselves all the time, right? You ever talk to yourself in the car? What do you say? For, for me yesterday, the talk, the talk was, and it, it, didn't, it didn't really come out like this. It came out in another form. Um, we were down at a, at a store, and this is, this is part of that story. We were down at this store, and we pulled in, and I was behind an armored car. And so they stopped right by the entrance to the store. And, and as they stopped, they let out the guy, and he, I guess he had the bag. He was going in to do whatever he was doing. But as soon as he got out, the driver started backing up. Now, I'm behind the armored car. And so as the driver's backing up, I'm getting a little frustrated because the driver is not looking in the mirror. The driver is looking at him going in the door while she's backing up. I'm thinking, this is not going to go well if I sit here. So I pulled up around. Well, sometimes I have to deal with this. I pulled up next to the armored car, and I just kind of gave one of those looks. Like, are you clueless up there? You know, one of those kind of things. Now, I'll tell you, I'm just like you. I struggle with some, sometimes with those things. And so... Yeah, looked at that, and I lost where I was going. Oh, wait, self-talk. What I was telling myself is, I'm a better driver than you. And I was convinced. But we tell ourselves all kinds of things, whether it be good or bad. Well, Jeremiah 17 has, has something to say about that. It kind of reveals a little bit of why we react in those kind of ways. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he has been like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Now it's Jeremiah 17, that was 7 and 8. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, so I want to talk about my heart. I have to understand that the things that come out of my heart are sometimes not the purest things that could ever take place because the heart is deceitful. And what the heart shares with me is that I've got it all together. I can do it, and, and I'm better than the other person sitting there up in the driver's seat of this armored car. That's what the heart says. But that's not necessarily true. I've got to find my truth anchored in the truth of Christ and my relationship with Him. So, this deception can take place both from outside and from within. The second thing is the cost that's involved in this. It's a hard saying. Granted, it's a hard saying. Follow me. You have to follow me with everything. That's a hard saying for them to understand. And then in that next, in the verse 66, says, as a result of this, many of of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. There's a cost involved in following Christ. 
You remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to him and said, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus said, well, here's what you need to do. Keep the commandments. I got that covered. I got that figured out. He said, but, but beyond that, give away all you have. I can't do that. That's one step too far for me. And maybe that's what Jesus was sharing in a passage like this where he's telling them, you've got to give all of your life in to follow me. They're saying, we can go this far, but we can't go that far. And that would be true for us. How much does Jesus require of us? And how far are we willing to go? So the rich young ruler was a great example of that. Because in that, we see the heart of Jesus wanting to love on him and wanting him to follow and understand who Jesus is. But as he walks away, it becomes heart-wrenching for the Savior to see that which he was, that, that person who was so close to giving up his life and following, walk away and not accept the gift of God. So it was hard for Jesus' followers. And this, this idea of returning had to do with returning or going back to an old bent of life. To go the other direction. Now, it's, it's real easy to accept a call if it does not require all of you. I, I'm not, I don't want you to, to raise your hands or, or shout or anything in this, but I want to ask you a question. When you came to know Christ, was the call to know Christ, was it based on you giving up all of your life, or was it explained that you do life and Christ is part of it? Now hear that question. When you came to know Christ, was it give all of your life or continue to do life and Christ just be part of it. Because as I see this, as Jesus is talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood, you give all, there's no part of that that says that you get to back off on some of that because you have other things to do. Jesus was pretty clear. Let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. The call to us is pretty radical. It's pretty big, and, and, and it stretches us all the time. And so we could deal with deception. We could count the cost in this. And we, when we test the authenticity, investigate the claims, we've got to decide. We have to decide, are we an authentic believer of Christ, and are we willing to give up all that we are to follow him? So the third thing is besides deception and besides the cost, the third part of this is we have to decide. There's a decision that, that has to take place in us. In, in verse 68, it says, Simon Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, the, the wording is really important here. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And the, the statement that 
that Peter makes, or this question that Peter asks of Jesus, is like this question. Is there anyone more authentic than you? Is there anyone that I should trust more than you? That's the question that Peter's asking. And and when we start putting that into real-life terms, we have to say, is there something that we are trusting more than Christ in our life? To whom shall we go? Is there anyone else? You have the words of eternal life. And so it's this... It's a little bit rhetorical. There is no one that we can go to besides you that's better than you or more authentic than you or represents God more than you. You are the one that has the words of eternal life. Therefore, it's a statement. We follow you. Essentially, what he's saying is, I'm all in. These guys, I speak for them. We believed, we have believed, and have come to know, so not just here, but here, it's not just head, it's in heart, we believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, that you are the authentic Christ, you are the Messiah, the one that we need to trust. And so Peter makes that, that, that decision, and he states that claim. And so we have to decide, what do we believe about Jesus? And then the second part of that is we have to commit. We have to believe and to trust. You remember the the story in Acts chapter 8 of the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip goes down, and and this guy's reading Scripture out of Isaiah. And and Philip Philip comes alongside. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, no, explain it to me. And so he walks him through this whole idea of God's story and and what that means. He says, and God designed it this way, and he sent his son to come and live a perfect life. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, went to a cross on our behalf, died, and was raised again. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe. I understand, and I believe. I think God draws him. He said, what do I need to do? Can we get, and they were passing by some water. He said, I want to be baptized. I want to commit my life. I want to show outwardly what has taken place inside of me that I want to follow Jesus with all that I am. And so the, the other part to this is we decide, but we also commit. And we commit in a couple of areas. We commit to trust who Jesus is. We commit to grow, which would be part of it. I told you at the beginning, have you grown as a follower, or developed as a follower, an authentic follower of Jesus? Has that happened, and is it happening? So, well, how do I do that? Let me tell you. Okay, first thing, here's some statements, some I will statements. I will do this. This is part of the package. It's, it's how you grow. It's how you put yourself in a position where you can grow. I will be in a small group. That's important. We think it's important to be in a small group because in a small group, there's this testing of authenticity, but there's this encouragement to be authentic and to learn what Scripture says, to learn who Jesus is. 
And so small groups are extremely important, and that can be in a connect group on a Sunday night or in another group on a Sunday evening or in a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning. If you go, I don't know where to go. Pastor Curry, would you raise your hand for just a moment? There he is, right there. He will get you where you need to go. Find him. Okay? He's, he's fairly easy to spot. Find me. I'll tell you. And there's some others in here that, that either teach Sunday school class. If you're a Sunday school teacher, would you raise your hand? Doesn't matter what age. All right, look at all those folks. They can help you find a spot to be on Sunday morning. How about a connect group? If you're, if you're in a connect group, would you raise your hand? All right, look at that. There's folks that would love to have you to their homes for a connect group. That's another place to plug in. And there's some other places, small group places that take place, but I would encourage you to be in a small group. So that's the first thing. I will be in a small group. The second thing, I, was, I will be part of worship as a participant, not a spectator. There is a difference. Being a, being a participant in worship does not necessarily mean that you are committing to coming in here and during some song where something is said, you have to raise your hand. That's not necessarily the definition of a participant. A participant is somebody who comes in here as an engaged in worship, whether it be singing out loud, listening intently, or whatever it happens to be. But it's not coming in here to park in a pew once a week and saying, I've done my duty, therefore I can go home and live the other however many hours of the week that are left, I can live like I want to. Participate in worship means that you're in the game and not just sitting on the sideline. And so it may mean that you're up on the front of the stage with a microphone. It may mean you're in the choir. It may mean you're an usher. It may mean that you're just paying attention. But you're all in when you're here. So I will be a participant in worship, not a spectator. Third thing, I will seek to grow in my relationship with Christ. It's purposeful. May mean a quiet time or a time alone with God in the mornings or in the evenings or sometime during the day where you say, God, I just want to get with you because I want to know what you say. May mean getting with somebody else and saying, help me to grow in my relationship with Christ. Help me to stay consistent in that. Brother Bobby did a, did a part on consistency with the, the Deacon Fellowship this morning, and he was talking about the importance of consistency. So be consistent in your growth as a believer. The fourth thing is I will engage in a gospel conversation with others. I will tell somebody about Jesus. Now, them coming to know Jesus as their Savior is not your responsibility to finish. It is your responsibility to share. It's not your responsibility to make the decision for them. So hear that. And enter into a gospel conversation where you say, this is so important to me that I've got to tell you. 
So I will engage in a gospel, gospel conversation with others. It's a commitment to tell. And then the last one is I will support the church, the body of Christ, as a believer, part of the bride. And support can be in so many different areas. Let me tell you one of the things that's happening is um, Michael back here is working with a, a float group. Float, that sounds weird. It sounds like you're doing root beer and ice cream. But it's, but it's really for a parade. <coughs> and it's a Christmas parade in Hillsborough. So he's got a group that are meeting, and they're pulling some things together to, to express in a way during that parade of what the gospel is. So, so it's a meaningful way of supporting the church and the body of Christ. And there are others in here that do different things. Um, Vernon, when I, when I first got here, these rails weren't here. But, but Vernon put these together. So, so, and I know it's going to hold, so I can lean on it. Now, it gives a little because I'm weightier than I used to be. But he built these, and that's a way to support the church. He's using the talents and the gifts that he has to, to do things that need to be done. Vic is in the sound booth. And so this morning, he's running sound, and he's making sure that, that I can be heard, that the choir can be heard, that Dawn, when she's up here leading music, she can be heard, and this whole group can be heard. So, so there are places to plug in. When we say support the church, there are lots of ways that you can support the church. Besides praying, it's showing up. It's being there. It's giving. Uh, one of the things that we're working through is our budget process. And we'll be talking about that in, in the next few weeks. But our budget is in process right now. And it's a, it's a pretty big deal because it takes, it takes money to turn on these lights. It takes money to power things up and to have air conditioning and heating and all those kind of things. And on the selfish end, my salary is paid out of that budget. So that's, just, that's part of the deal. But that's another way to support is in giving. And so the last piece of this is I will support the church, the body of Christ as a believer, part of the bride. As a believer, it is, as a believer, it is our responsibility to support the church. So the fifth thing, besides the deception and the cost, we decide and we commit. And then we have to devote. Devote ourselves. And that, that is, how will you respond? How do you respond when Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It is a weighty subject to follow me. It's a weighty concept. Will you do it? Will you devote to do that? See, following Jesus is not one of those things for those that are wimpy. And we may start out wimpy, but there's a boldness in coming to know Christ. And there's a cost involved. I think what Jesus was saying when he was explaining this whole thing is that you cannot follow me and be faint of heart. You will grow in your relationship and you'll get boldness and you'll do all that by the grace of God. But you have to understand that it's not going to be coming to me and everything gets fixed in your life and everything's great because there's still struggles. There's still problems. 
My power bill comes every single month. It came to me before I was a believer, and it's still coming. It's part of life. Jesus calls us to follow him with all that we are. And our belief in subsequent action in following Christ and trusting him, it pits two things against one another. It pits complacency and urgency against one another. There's an urgency in John 6 when Jesus says, will you follow me? And it's serious. There's an urgency in his message because he knows that he's going to the cross. There's an urgency in his message because he realizes that between the time that this is said in John chapter 6, between that period and the time of his resurrection, that other people are going to die. And if they don't, are not trusting Christ, they will die and split hell wide open. There's an urgency in his message because people that live around us, if they were to die today without a relationship with Christ, would be completely separated from God for eternity. There is an urgency in this message. And there's no call for complacency. We're to be urgent about chasing after what God wants and, to follow, and following him with all our heart. I told you a couple weeks ago about this guy named Spencer. He was the, the kid on the baseball team that pretty much was the statistician. You remember that? He, he would show up for practice. He got beat in the knees and in the legs with ground balls and, and all that kind of stuff for months and came toward the end of the season. It was his time to step in. And with fear, he grabbed the bat, walked into the on-deck circle, and just kind of shook because never thought he'd be in that spot. We eventually stepped into the batter's box, and uh, I'm on down one line, another coach is down the other line, and all the players are standing there, and they're like, they're cheering him on. Because Spence hadn't been in the game. He'd been on the side watching. And all of a sudden, he's in the game. And so, you know, I, my heart is, get a hit, dude. Come on. And the other coach is, is cheering him on, and the team's cheering him on. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, what immense pressure on this kid to, to live up to something that he'd never really accomplished before. And he stepped in, and in just a few moments, he swung. And he got a hit. He ended up on base, and, and I want to tell you, yeah, and I get choked up at baseball movies, so this is not unusual. Um, he, he got hit, and he's standing there on, on first, and he's got a grin about this wide. He had done something he hadn't done before. And the team went crazy, and it was wonderful. But I want to tell you, Spencer, Spencer made a name for himself that day, but he wasn't the only one who ever did. There was a kid named Charlie who also caught more ground balls with his legs than he did his glove, who missed more baseballs in batting practice than anybody ever missed. 
And he was in the same boat in a playoff game and did the same thing. He got a hit, got on, smile this big. And the one kid that got to watch Charlie play, Spencer. He got to watch what happens when somebody is obedient to what they've been called to do and steps into a place where they're uncomfortable. And you see great results. Look around you. Just look around. Now that means you look around. Really. There are people sitting around you that have shared Christ. There are people sitting around you that have been through Sunday school classes, that have led people to know who Jesus is, have lived authentic Christian lives and serve as examples. Well, they've been beat up. They've caught more ground balls in the legs than they would care to admit. Missed more fly balls and missed more swings at the plate than they would ever want you to know. The average has not been 900 or 1,000. It's been more in the hundreds and 200s. It will never be a Hall of Fame kind of statistic. But they've given their life to follow Christ with an authenticity that cannot be questioned. Their certificate on the inside says that they belong to him. And they serve as an example to the rest of us that are still struggling with working through what it means to follow Christ. And I want to tell, tell us that struggle is let's snuggle up to those that have, have lived this out. Let's be in that spot where we're following all of us in an authentic way and allow God to develop us so that this church will be what it needs to be from this corner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge is hard. But Father, I pray that as you help us to grow, as we look around at the examples of people around us who um, are living their life for you, Father, that we will be more in a place where we say, yes, Lord, even when the call to follow is difficult. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that. Father, this morning I pray that if there is someone in here that does not know you as Savior, that although the words, come follow me, is very difficult, Father, I pray that they would declare, as Peter did, where else can I go? I recognize you as, as God, Jesus, the one who offers eternal life, and I want to commit my life to you. So, Father, I pray that you would draw them. And this morning, they would, they would walk to the front of the church. As scary as that is, they would walk down and say, I need to talk to somebody about following Jesus. And then, Father, for those that already have a relationship with you, Father, I pray you would remind us of the cost. And as you have, that we would be willing to commit to following you regardless. And so, Father, there may be some of us that need to come to this altar this morning and say, God, I want to repent of finding another way besides you to live my life. 
And so, God, I pray you would draw them to the front as well. Father, in all of it, that we would be that, that people, that church that is authentic, authentically following you and willing to impact those around us. God, we love you and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? And as God leads you this morning, maybe you're a Spencer and you're struggling with, what is my next step? And I'm not sure I'm sure about this. I'm going to ask you to step forward. If you've not had a relationship with Christ, I'm going to ask you to come and say, How, I want to have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus. So however God leads you this morning, I, want, I would ask that you would be obedient to him so that we could be that, that group that follows him in authenticity. So you come as God leads you this morning. some of you recognize the the tune to turn your eyes upon Jesus you think about the crowd that was there that day those disciples that said this is too hard at some point they were looking at Jesus and said yeah you are who you say you are but I cannot commit that far and they had to take their eyes away and go a different direction but there was a group of guys And Jesus gave them the opportunity. He said, do you want to walk away too? And you think about it, when Jesus gives that opportunity, if they follow like the other group, he's left with nobody. He starts all over again. But he had to ask them, eye to eye, will you follow me? I think we have to deal with that same thing. You come face to face with Jesus, he's going to ask you, will you follow me? Are you willing to do all that I've asked you to do? And together, we do what God's called us to do. 
come and seek and to save that which was lost to tell the world about who Jesus is and God's great love for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace, for your mercy, for your willingness to invite us into your story. And God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Would you be seated for just a moment? Um, We've got to do a little business that's real quick, but it has to do with some, some, um, some meetings that are coming up. So I'm going to call us into a business meeting for a couple of minutes. Um, the first order of business um, are two meetings that are taking place. One is the associational meeting that's going to take place on October 24th. It's going to be at Bragtown, and uh, we can give you more information about it um, later on. But if you would be willing, it's a Tuesday, if you'd be willing to serve as a messenger to the associational meeting, um, would you, would, do I have any volunteers? Okay, Ray Evans is one. Anybody else? Okay, I will probably end up being on that list. Um, okay, so we need to, to affirm that. So uh, anybody else for a cutoff? Okay. All right, so that'll be October 24th. That's the associational meeting. And so if you're good with Ray and I representing the association, would you let that be known by saying, uh, okay. Uh, That's pretty good. All those opposed say, no way. I don't know if that's in Robert's Rules of Order. I know the yes and no are, but Okay, second, second one is the state, the North Carolina State Convention meeting that'll take place in early November. Uh, it's the first week in November, so it's around the 6th or 7th, and it's a, uh, it starts on a Monday night and goes through Tuesday. Is that right, Curry? Okay, 6th and 7th? Okay, 6th and 7th of November. If you'd be willing to serve as a messenger to the state convention... And they deal with the way state missions is done. There's some good messages that will take place during that. Just kind of get an idea of where we're going as Baptists within our state. If you'd be willing to serve as a messenger to the state convention, would you raise your hand real quick? Okay. So Curry's one. Any others? Okay. Oh, okay. Debbie. Debbie, what's her name? And Suzanne, okay. All right. And I'll probably be on there too. All right. Anybody else? Okay. Um, all those in favor of the four of us at this point representing our, our church at the state convention meeting, known by saying yes? All those opposed, no? You just, just, you try to keep, keep me on my toes. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's a majority. Yeah, there we go. All right. So, so we're good with that. A uh, um, couple more things that, that have come out of our personnel team, and they've been um, extremely busy. In fact, on occasion, they've been known as hot. So, um, and so Gary, would you come and share from our, 
our personnel team a couple of things. Carmen, you get to come too. And okay, everybody on the personnel team that's here, and they're going to share some stuff. And um, and then when this is over, um, would you pray and dismiss us with any announcements and reminders that we need? Okay. Okay. Okay, and uh, those, there'll be seven people that'll be on that with two alternates. And before I call their names out and ask them to come forward, and if they would stand on my right, but um, when we were doing the studies, um, one of the things that we noticed uh, and found out was uh, 80 to 90% of the people that come to know the Lord is before the age of 18. So we have sought God's wisdom, his uh, leading in, in uh, coming up with this committee because uh, we know that anytime you make a decision for the life of the, uh, the church and the Lord's work, it's very serious. And for uh, the, the, the serving the people here at our church in the present as well as in the future, we have come up with these folks. So I know you've been praying for us, as I said last week, and trust me, we really appreciate it because the last several months have been pretty intense. But uh, these are the ones that we have put together to serve on that committee. Uh, Hope Cantrell, if you will come over here. Uh, Tracy Humphrey, Kim Milby, Brandy Zivica, Ray Evans, Justin Horn, and Joe Spinks, who's not here this morning. And the two alternates will be Debbie Dorsey and Tim Walker. And uh, we are charging them to seek the person to serve uh, for that position. All right, so this is the group that's going to serve as our children's ministry search team. And so um, what I'd like to do is if we can vote, vote on them if you want to, um, kind, of, kind of thing. But I think more than anything, we need to affirm them as the ones that will help us through this process of choosing somebody to serve in this position. So would you, by, by um, affirming them, would you just say, I will pray for you out loud 
as a, as a team. Would you say that? Some of you said, I will pray for you out loud. Um, I heard it. So what I'd, what I'd like us to do is just surround them with a bunch of folks. And um, Curry will lead us as we, as we close, but he'll also remind us of some things that are going on. So if you would be willing to come and surround this team to pray for them, would you come at this time? Just as you are moving forward, we'll, we will pray when you get up here. Um, uh, Pastor Bob had reminded us earlier that we will be supporting Fields of Faith on Wednesday night, so we'll not have the regular activities, including dinner, going on here, except for the children's choir. And, um, and just encourage you to stop by the connection board in the lobby on the way out. That's where you can find much information about different things that are going on and ways you can sign up. So just encourage you to do that. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for, uh, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the work that you continue to do in and through us as we serve you here. We thank you that you're not done with us and that you are patient and that you, uh, Lord, allow us to be a part of serving you and impacting the world for your name. And Lord, as we stand here united together this morning, not only by laying hands on a group of people and, and just uh, reaching out and connecting with each other physically, we recognize that we are connected in a much more important and deeper way, spiritually unified by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray this morning for this group of people that you have raised up to be the search team for our next children's pastor. Lord, we recognize how vitally important it is uh, not only for leadership in a church, but also to specifically uh, minister to children and their families. And so, Lord, we, we recognize how important it is at this stage to see children come to faith and grow in that faith and the impact that that can make for the kingdom of God. So we know that you already have someone chosen. We know that you already have your hand on uh, the person who's going to come in and, and lead in this way. So we pray for discernment for this team. We pray for unity. We pray, Lord, for you to guide them by your spirit. We pray that they will seek you, Lord, and um, desire to know your will. And we commit as a church, Lord, uh, to come together and pray uh, for this team as they work through the process and continue to pray for the person that you're going to bring here to be uh, a part of the leadership team. And, Lord, so we, we thank you for the body of Christ here at Ebenezer. We thank you for the ability that we have to come together and be unified and to pray together. And, and uh, so I just thank you uh, for our family, Lord, and we just pray your blessings upon this day that we'll honor you and uh, just remind us of the challenge that we've had placed before us through your word today, Lord, to be authentic and what authenticity looks like in the life of a believer. So, Lord, we want to say we love you today and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. To this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.